Hello and welcome to Terrace Memoirs, episode nine, uh, the latest delve into a football supporter's life. Uh, in this case, the, um, the, 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 well, the quite um, uh, interesting recent history, I suppose, of Blackburn Rovers. Uh, I am Dave Harris, Reading fan of 30 years, season ticket holder of 20 years. Um, before we get into it, uh, just a quick uh, congratulations to um, Brentford, Swansea City, Blackpool, Lincoln City, Morecambe and Newport County on reaching the playoff finals. Um, I'm sure, uh, Ryan, um, I don't know if you watched any of them, but um, the playoffs being sort of doing playoff things really, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And uh, I live in Lincolnshire, so obviously I've got lots of friends who are going mental at the moment at the prospect of Lincoln <laughs> City in the championship, which um, I must say I'm not as uh, feeling as happy about that, the thought of Lincoln City in the division that, uh, that Rovers no. are playing. But hey-ho. Yeah, well, an easy way trip next season, though, potentially. But... That's it. That is absolutely right. Uh, congratulations to each of those clubs on reaching the playoff finals. They're obviously going to be played this weekend. Um, but the strange thing with, with the playoff finals in comparison to the FA Cup final last weekend, the capacity at Wembley is only 10,000, um, which seems to be ludicrously low, given over 20,000 attended the FA Cup final. But to, in order to support an increase in ticket numbers, there's a petition going around. Um, I've pinned it to the Terrace Memoirs Twitter, um, and I'll also put it into the description of this episode on Anchor, because quite frankly, 10,000 to 20,000 for games that are you know, equally important for the, for the clubs involved and the fans that are going seems to be really quite um, bizarre. I'd encourage everybody to sign it, um, because the FA and the EFL and the, the, the footballing governing bodies are completely powerless to do anything unless the government say that the, uh, that the um, attendance can be increased. So show your support for that. Give it a sign. Be supportive of fair and equi equitable treatment for all fans at Wembley events. Um, which, of course, brings me on to following me at Twitter. I've mentioned the Twitter. Um, you can follow me at Terrace Memoirs. Um, give us a like on Facebook. Um, and maybe email if, you, if you're so inclined, if you want to come on the podcast, offer support or advice or complain if, if, I, if I pissed you off in any way, shape or form, give me an email at terracememoirs at gmail.com. Um, but on to today, um, third episode where I've never spoken to my guest, um, following on from Kaz and Lee. Um, Blackburn Rovers fan, you've obviously heard him speak already um, of, I'm thinking about 20 years, is that right, Ryan? Yeah, uh, how old am I? 33. Um, so I've supported them all my life. So in terms of like physical memory of Rovers, yeah, it's over 20 years. Um, I can, I've got memories going back to about five, six year old. So yeah, you've already, if, if you're a Rovers fan and you, and you follow his podcast, he does, he's the host of everything Blackburn Rovers on uh, Rovers chat. Um, I say Blackburn fan of well, he's obviously more than 20 years. Um, Clearly a huge Blackburn Rovers fan. I'm really pleased to have him on. Big welcome to Ryan. Are you are you well, Ryan? Yeah, I am. I'm very well, thank you. It's uh, it's been a bit of a busy day, and I had my first dose of the vaccine today. So, um, that's oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, things going in the right direction uh, for me as well. So, no, all good. I'm I'm really well, thank you. Good, good. So um, let's dive straight on in. How? What? Where, where? Basically, where did it all start for you? Yeah. So. Um, as you just heard me touch on a little bit there, um, you know, uh, I grew up in Lincolnshire and Lincoln City in the early 90s, um, weren't really on the football radar. Certainly there was no draw from 
you know, the city or, or any family member of mine, really, to go and support Lincoln City or go along to the football in that way. So I kind of just stumbled across football on my own devices, really, just, um, you know, seeing games on Sky Sports when that first started and, you know, the stuff you can see on TV. And I very quickly just fell in love with the blue and white halves of, of Blackburn at that point. You know, they were getting a lot of airtime at that point. Uh, blue was my favourite colour. Alan Shearer was a great striker for Rovers, someone who I instantly latched onto. And it all just started there. You know, I speak to my mum and she said, you know, from as far as I can remember, it was just always Blackburn. Just one day you started saying you supported Blackburn and she consolidated that for me with a Blackburn shirt for Christmas, um, whenever that was, 93, 92, 94. I can't remember which Christmas it was, but yeah, just it's just always been that way. So I've always been a Rovers fan for just that very random reason. And, you know, I've got to say a lot of people my age in Lincoln support very different teams and random teams for reasons like that, because, you know, certainly the success Lincoln City are having now, it was certainly not like that when we were growing up in Lincoln and around Lincoln. So mm -hmm. I've got mates who support all different sides for all different reasons. And, uh, Certainly in terms of Rovers' recent history, for, for worse, for me, I support Rovers. Mm -hmm. so just, just touching on that Lincoln thing, I mean, you're quite right. I mean, I, I as a Reading fan, I started supporting Reading roughly around the same sort of time, a little bit earlier than um, when you started supporting Rovers. I mean, I'm slightly older as well, but um, I can only ever remember Reading playing Lincoln in one season, and that was the first season with Madeski. Um, and everybody's... Um, if, if you're a football fan of a, of, of a particular age and older than, than I am, you kind of think of Reading as more of a third division, maybe fourth division club. Um, so it just goes to demonstrate, I suppose, the, uh, um, the, the, the loneliness, I suppose, of Lincoln City until, until recently. Um, so, um, but I suppose just go, going back onto Rovers, um, that, that would have been around the time when Kenny Dalglish took over because he had a, a short hiatus out of the game after finishing up Liverpool, ended up at Blackburn. Um, is it uh, Jack Walker, Jack wasn't Walker, it? Yeah. Um, who's essentially, you know, rebuilt Ewood Park or, um, and, uh, you know, ploughed his own money into the club um, and, and, and signed, you know, even in that, that sort of you know, going back to 91, 92, 92, 93, you're looking at signing players like Mike Newell. You mentioned Alan Shearer already, um, Tim Flowers, um, Colin Hendry, you know, all the players that, that, that I grew up, you know, when I first started uh, really taking an interest in football. Um, and when obviously went, as you mentioned, when Sky TV um, started having a major influence in the game, um, you can see why, um, uh, Blackburn Rovers, you know, that th th their appeal was there. I it's exactly the same sort of uh, phenomenon that was happened at Chelsea twenty, well, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, happening at City now, mm. uh, Manchester City. Um, but there was always this. You know, certainly, when I was growing up, there was always a, um, a sort of a stigma around sort of big club fans or successful fans that they wouldn't stick around; they were only in it for the glory, um, and. You know, you're still there. Um, you, you, you know, even though that you got by, by by what you've said already, there's no um, no sort of sort of family connection to um, to Blackburn. It's just that you know there was everything that was going for them, and they were aside on the up. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think those comparisons that you make to, to Man City and Chelsea are, are entirely valid. And I'm not going to sit here and be some kind of righteous fan and say, oh, yeah, I support Rovers for all the right reasons. You know, let's not dress it up. Um, as a young kid growing up in Lincoln, um, Sky Sports and the money that Jack Walker was plowing in, et cetera, et cetera, has helped me become a Blackburn Rovers fan. And I probably would not support Rovers were it not for Sky, were it not for Jack Walker's millions, were it not for Alan Shearer. You know, why would someone in Lincoln support a town in Lancashire? Um, certainly an unfashionable one at that point as well. So absolutely, I think those comparisons that you make to, to City and Chelsea, you know, Rovers were the originales, weren't they, in the 90s, that first batch mm -hmm. of money that, that Jack Walker was able to put in. But Absolutely. You know, my eye has never wandered and, and I've shared all the glory as much as I've shared all the pain. And, you know, for that reason, you know, I like to think that my support is as, as valid as someone who's fourth generation Lancasterian living in Blackburn. Yeah, I, I think I, you know, I'm absolutely no, no snob whatsoever. And from where I'm sat, you know, it, 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 it absolutely is. Um, I mean, the fact that you started you start, start supporting them as a, as a young kid, it would be very, very easy for, you know, once they'd won that title, obviously they they kind of once they dropped off a cliff, but it did that the, the performance levels did drop off once Kenny Dalglish left, didn't they? And it would yeah. have been very easy to just as a as a as a kid, you know, you know what kids are like. Um, yeah. It would have been very easy to just drop Rovers like a stone. Um, and I think you know there's a lot of kudos to be to be given for um, uh, for, for for sticking with them um, and you know sticking with them well in, in time of memorial as well. So go, go, those early nineties, you, you mentioned your mum bought you bought you a shirt um, or the kit um, around that time. It was that really dark blue as well down one half, wasn't it? And it was, I know yeah. that lightened, yeah, because that, that obviously lightened. A, 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 I'm not sure why they did that, but I'll always remember and, and, and think of Rovers as having a really dark. It's royal blue, isn't it? Pretty much. That's the, yeah, really. Um, but, um, but did you actually get to many games then? Were, were your parents able to to help to sort of help with that, um, or was it only um, a little bit later later on that you started going on a regular basis? Yeah, it really took me a while to get to my first game. So um, you know, just for whatever reason, um, I just couldn't get up to the games at Blackburn. Um, you know, I am I'm from a single parent family and stuff, so it was just you know it was, it was hard for my mum to do that. So. My first game was actually um, a very random game in our first season back in the Premier League, actually. It was April 2002, um, so it was towards the end of the season, and, and Rovers uh, weren't safe from relegation at that point. Um, you know, we were still down there with a clutch of clubs at that point in our first season back after promotion. Uh, and it was just a random uh, game. Um, I think it was a Monday night. It could have been a Tuesday night. It was definitely a midweek game, though, uh, against Southampton at home and we won 2-0. Uh, Damien Duff got a goal and some random cult hero who, uh, if you tune into the Rovers chat account, I'm always plugging Jordi, who is just some random <laughs> Spanish guy who we had on loan <laughs> for half a season that yeah. got himself a League Cup winner's medal to boot for doing not too much at all. And um, yeah, we, we won the game 2-0 and really that just set the path for, for safety. And, and we ended up coming 10th that season as well, which was a great finish. Um, mm -hmm. but no, that was, it was a magical experience because um, I went with my grandparents and bless them, they're no longer around anymore. But, um, you know, they, they drove me and my mate up there, you know, going across the M62 down in Lincolnshire. And we stopped off for some food and we did it in that true grandparent way, you know, made a mm -hmm. real day of it. 
Uh, and the game was just brilliant, you know, for the first game to win 2-0. Um, it'll be a game that not many Rovers fans will win, uh, remember, I can <laughs> assure you of that one. But it'll always be one that I remember. You know, we got all the old photos out and, um, you know, lots of stuff on the day. Took a photo in front of the Jack Walker stand and got some club mm-hmm. memorabilia. You know, all that type of stuff that you would do on your first experience there. And Oh, yeah. absolutely. Get get the programme, photos and photos yeah, galore and... Well, so, did you have the um, scarves trailing out of the, the windows of the car? That's it, absolutely. So what was I then? So <laughs> I, I was 14, nearly 15 for that game. So it took me a while to get to my first game. But um, certainly once I was able to be trusted <laughs> to go on the train from Lincoln, you know, once my mum allowed me to do that, uh, and certainly once I could drive, then I could really start getting to the games on my own. So, um, you know, it probably wasn't really until I got into 16, 17 years old, that started going a lot more regularly. But certainly that game, mm-hmm. that first one, it really whetted the appetite. And to be able to be at Ewood Park and and experience that, it was just great. Yeah, good stuff. So um, as you, around that time, so you're 14, 15, so a couple of years, two, three, maybe four, five years later, uh, when you are driving around. I mean, it's one of the, one of the, the weird quirks of English football, isn't it? That there are so many clubs up in Lancashire, were you able to go to um, more away games virtually as a home game, or um, did you still just kind of stick to uh, to home games um, mainly? When I first started going, I, I um, started doing Ewood Park um, a bit more regularly, but then um, I balance it out now and do, you know, I get to as many home games as I do away games these days. Um, but, you know, you can't beat an away day, can you? And I think once I discovered drinking <laughs> alcohol, et cetera, et cetera obviously uh, enjoyed the uh, the experience of an away day and um, and started mixing that in. And, and, you know, all joking aside, you know, with alcohol, actually, I love ticking off the grounds and I love going to the new places. I love the new experiences. And if it's a place that lends itself to staying over and making a night of it, you know, places like, I don't know, Blackpool, Newcastle, leads you know those types of places then you can make a do of it as well so mm-hmm. yeah I started off you know just sticking to what I knew with going to Ewood Park and getting on the train up there and eventually driving but then obviously started driving and started finding my confidence and you know having the confidence you know because as a you hear about all these stories you know about hooliganism and all of that type of stuff and when you're not on an official club coach and you're going away you know, driving as a young lad, you've got to have your wits about you. So I think once I've built up my confidence to do that, absolutely love driving around and, and following Rovers away from home now. So you started going, as you, as you mentioned, um, at the age of sort of 14, 15, first season in the Premier League. And that's um, that's a good, what is it, 10, 11 years that Rovers had in the Premier League then before uh, before the whole Steve Keane, uh, Venki saga, which we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but you know, you've you've started essentially. You've started growing your um, your your your. How can we put this? The footballing repertoire, supporting repertoire, of um, of grounds and clubs seen in the Premier League, which is you know you, you clearly you, from a very early age you're seeing some of the best players in the world, some of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, but Rovers for that 10, 12 years, how, what was it? 2001 to, to 2012? 11, 11, 11, 11. relegated, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've seen some of the best 
um, let's say some of the best clubs, the biggest clubs, best players. But Rovers, for almost all of that time, held their own and more, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. Um, though those ten years, really, apart from the, you know the final couple of seasons, they were really a magical period of time uh, for Rovers. Obviously, the thing that gets the plaudits is the title win. You know, we won the title in ninety four, ninety five, but actually, that sustained period that we had after that promotion back, um, you know, in two thousand and one, that decade in the Premier League was great, and it was just so good how we built up to that level as well so as I said you know first season back in 2001-2 season uh, we came 10th and we won the league cup as well and then Graham Souness started to build a really good side and he was nabbed by Newcastle um, he went mm-hmm. and managed them so we had a season of just kind of transition from Graham Souness to Mark Hughes Mark Hughes took it to another level so with his standing in the game you know like Souness as well to be fair to him Mark Hughes's standing seemed to start to attract a calibre of player that really started to take us into that next level. So I think we qualified for Europe four times. We got to the FA Cup semi-final two times. We came sixth. We came in the top half regularly. So we were a very well-established top half Premier League club. You know, players like Craig Bellamy, Roque Santa Cruz, Benny McCarthy, you know, were strikers that came and signed for us. Just excellent, excellent footballers. And then the other part that Mark Hughes did, you know, finding diamonds of players like Ryan Nelson and Chris Samba as our centre-back pairing. You know, Mm -hmm. I think Ryan Nelson was on a free. I could be mistaken with that, but I'm pretty certain Ryan Nelson might have been a free signing or at least a a very low fee signing. And Chris Samba was in the 100,000s mark as well from Hertha Berlin. And those Mm -hmm. two went on to just form an absolute rock-solid centre-back pairing that Mark Hughes um, started off. So, yeah, really, you know, that time period up to when Mark Hughes left, you know, he left, I think it was 2008, Mark Hughes left, and he got nabbed by Man City. So that's a sign you're doing well, isn't it? If, you know, inverted commas, bigger clubs are coming after your managers in Newcastle and Manchester City, Souness and Mm -hmm. Mark Hughes going to those, that's a sign that you're doing well. Really then, you know, the next manager after Mark Hughes was Paul Ince. That was just a complete failure of an appointment. Uh, And Rovers very quickly acted on that. You know, Ince didn't last the full season. And Big Sam came in and and did the safety job for us, kept us up. And um, he started building us back again. You know, the 2009-10 season, for example. Um, You know, we were mixing it up against those big boys again, Dave. Um, As you've said, you know, Arsenal were coming to Ewood Park and... You know, we were giving them rough treatment. Chelsea <laughs> lost a game at our place. Uh, we beat Chelsea in the quarterfinal of an FA Cup. I can remember, you know, all that, uh, of the League Cup, sorry, you know, all those types of things. So Big Sam started, um, you know, rebuilding us to a sense. But then obviously everything changed when the ownership changed. So if I just give a bit of context about the ownership. So, yeah, Jack Walker ploughed his millions in in the early 90s. And um, unfortunately, he passed away in 2000 in in the season that we were promoted back from what was Division One at that point. Um, so a trust was set up after after his death called the Walker Trust, and it managed all of his assets, including Blackburn Rovers. And that trust basically had a set figure and a set amount of money that it was ploughing into the football club year on year. When he mm-hmm. died, 
um, the amount of money that he was putting in was competitive for the Premier League. We were able to make good signings and we had a good chief executive and a good setup at the club that were able to trade, inverted commas, players really well as well. So, you know, signing someone like Roque Santa Cruz for the money we did and then selling him on for a huge profit at £17 million, bringing Damien Duff through your youth academy and selling him for £17 million, really sensible decision-making by the club. But very mm -hmm. quickly it became clear two things really, that the Walkers or the Walker Trust weren't really interested in owning Blackburn Rovers by the end of, you know, the of the 2010s. So, you know, when we're getting up to, sorry, 2010. So by the end of the noughties, they weren't interested in owning us anymore, really. Um, and actually the money that they were putting in was getting less and less competitive. You know, the I can't remember what the figure is, but let's just say for argument's sake, it's like three million pound a year. You know, that's not buying you much by the end of no. 2009-10. So I reached the point where they were actively trying to sell the club. And as is always happening with Premier League clubs these days, and indeed football league clubs when they're being sold, we had the rumours, we had the this guy wants to take over, that guy wants to take over, etc, uh, etc. Et and then eventually, you know, we're being sold to this Indian chicken firm. And you just think, right, okay, um, they're loaded. You could see they were loaded. Uh, you could see what was going on at Manchester City at that point. You know, they'd just been taken over after the Shinawatra years at that point. So Sheikh Mansour had come in at City. You're thinking, all oh, right, actually, if we've struck gold with with an Indian firm here and they've got a load of money, maybe Rovers can go on to that next level. Maybe, you know, we can start dreaming a little bit more. But very, very quickly, it unraveled. So mm -hmm. um, I think they were led down a garden path. Um you know, by the agency who I can't really talk. <laughs> I I know this sounds really kind of official, but Rovers fans have been um, have been pulled upon this before. So for legal reasons, I can't say who they are. <laughs> mm -hmm. But there is an agency that probably sold a bit of a kipper to the owners about what they should and shouldn't do. So one of the first things that they were advised to do was sack Big Sam, who yeah. at that point was providing stability to Rovers. Um don't get me wrong, there were Rovers fans who weren't happy with the football. When you consider what happened previously under Mark Hughes and Graham Souness, we were playing some great stuff and we were really attacking. We were in Europe, etc., etc. You know, Big Sam had a different brief at that point. You know, the money was uh, less competitive for Rovers. We just had to stay up every year. It probably yeah. wasn't a case of making Europe. It was just holding our own at Premier League level. So Big Sam was removed. Yeah, sorry. Well, I suppose I, su I suppose the, the comparison there is that the, the brief at Blackburn was to effectively do what he did at Bolton. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although I suppose Blackburn fans, given the the, the more recent history of of, of well the, the Premier League win and the the League Cup win, well trof the, the two trophies that he won, um, yeah. seeing themselves as uh, um, well wanting and, and, and rightfully so wanting to be. Um, bigger and better than, than Bolton, not just for regional pride, but for, you know, yeah. tangible history, you know? Yeah, that's it. And the brief was just very much to keep us as an established Premier League club. We had a great model. We had John Williams as a chief executive. We had Big Sam as a manager. We were absolutely punching above our weight at that point, particularly as the money became less competitive. So really, I think the majority of Rovers fans accepted our lot and accepted where we were at that point. Um, albeit, you know, Big Sam's football wasn't the most attractive at times. But yeah, you know, the series of decisions that Venkis made, you know, it wasn't just sacking Big Sam. They got rid of John Williams, the chief executive. They 
elevated the role of this football agency in controlling transfers and other business at the club. Steve Keane obviously got the managerial role and all of those things combined, you know, on and off the pitch. You know, when we talk about the decade of of magical stuff for Rovers, really, when you think of the promotion season up from Division 1, culminating in the relegation at the end of it, you know, that season that we got relegated, you know, <laughs> excuse the pun, all of our chickens came home to roost in that very <laughs> season. You know, the decisions that had been taken, the managerial stuff that had been decided, the types of players that we were signing, the short-sightedness on contracts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Relegation was inevitable. And we had the warning shots in the season before. So Big Sam was sapped midway through the previous season. And the mm -hmm. run of form that Steve Keane had towards the end of the season, it went down to the final day for Rovers, actually. And we stayed up on the final day. I don't know if you remember, there were five clubs fighting to stay up. There was yeah, us. it was, uh, it was yeah. uh, you won at Wolves, didn't you? That's right. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we, that's it. We won at Wolves and Steve Keane is very lucky that Big Sam had some points on the board because, you know, we were in a shocking run of form at that point. And at that point, Dave, you know, we had players in that team. We had Phil Jones. We had Michelle Salgado. We had Junior Hoylet. We had Brett Emerton. We had Stephen Nzonzi. You know, big players for Rovers. There was mm -hmm. absolutely no excuses for Rovers finding themselves where they did. So yeah, the the season after was just um, just a shocker, really, and just stuff like the way that some of the players were handled still hurt some Rovers fans. So Michelle Salgado, for example, is a case in point. Um, at the time when we signed him, he was thirty four, looking like forty four. But this is a guy that has won trophy after trophy for Real Madrid and had a very yeah. successful career, who absolutely immersed himself in Blackburn Rovers, and he didn't have to. And he was a fan favourite. And then it comes out that if if he plays a certain amount of games, it will trigger this. So that was it. They just cut him out. Like the owners literally said, this player can't play anymore. And it happened to Jason Roberts as well. And it happened to Ryan Nelson. And it was just terrible, terrible handling of pros, you know, model pros at our football club. So just stuff like that. Really, Dave, you know, the whole thing stank by the end of that season. And it was it was a wretched stench with deserved, very deserved relegation. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the, the inner workings of the club. I mean, clearly, as you mentioned um, to me um, before we came on here, it was it, it was toxic um, around around the place. Um, and that was, you know, clear to see for anybody um, outside of outside of Blackburn when you will see them on the TV, you watch them on match of the day and, you know, and you, you listen to all the phone-ins and you, you look at all the message boards as they were popular still back then. Um, and it was just, you know, everything that, it seemed to be that everything that could go wrong um, at Blackburn was going wrong and it was everything that was that was wrong about, about owning a football club. When you were going to games at that point, was it, 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 every? I suppose every club, every every um, club's fans have had this at some point, to an extent, where it is more of a chore, um, a labour of love, rather than you know you're actually wanting to go. Is is that? I'm assuming that's how it was at the time for the fans yeah. that was that were still going. It was, and I think as fans, you know, we were going to games just trying to somehow influence a change in direction somehow. And that's I'm not saying with protests, I'm, I'm not saying with chanting Keen out, but 
by supporting the team, by getting behind the team, can we somehow just stop this car crash from happening that we could see unraveling in front of our very eyes? You know, we could see it as fans. We could see how we were playing. But Steve Keane's obviously doing these post-match interviews saying how well we played and how positive it was, et cetera, et cetera. And you can guarantee that that's the type of nonsense that he was spouting off to India and to Venkis as well to paint them a picture that all was rosy. So, yeah, it was a labour of love, Dave. And, you know, it was just a case of, well, this is the role that we can play. We've just got to somehow change this direction, you know, as futile as that ended up being, of course. And, you know, some games were tough. You know, the, the one that really sticks out is, you know, in that relegation season, it was just before Christmas. And we all know what happens to a side that's bottom at Christmas. They usually get relegated. And we have Bolton Wanderers who were bottom coming into that game and we were second bottom and there are local rivals it's just before Christmas the loser ends up being bottom at Christmas it's starting to reach you know euphoria in the Rovers fans really for Keen out and get rid of this ownership etc etc and Bolton were 2-0 up at half time um, or it could have been 2-1 at half time but they certainly went 2-0 up in the game and that atmosphere just it was hard it was mm-hmm. one of the worst worst atmospheres ever it was it was just horrible and i think what then rubbed it in after the game is you've got the likes of owen coyle who ended up becoming our manager coming out after the game and saying that the fans should get behind rovers and behind steve Keane and sir alex ferguson sticking up for him at certain points as well and it just it really felt like that as a fan base at that point we were alone that we were completely alone in what was unravelling at our club. You know, the FA had obviously done nothing about Venkis because they are completely powerless with anything ownership. They certainly were at that point. And it just felt like, not that you want sympathy as a fan, you know, I, I don't expect sympathy from any football fan, but it just really felt like here is a case of a, a founder league football member, a Premier League winner, a club that's been well-established in the Premier League that right in front of our very eyes is being ripped to shreds by new ownership and a football agency and a manager that has nowhere near enough the qualification to do the role. And it mm-hmm. just, it was horrible. It was, it was a completely powerless situation. So I think the thing that I was grabbing onto at that point, Dave, was just, well, if the football's getting you down whilst the 90 minutes are being played, everything in and around that, you know, the away games, the traveling up to the games, I'm just going to try and get the maximum enjoyment out of it that I can mm-hmm. still make the day out of it, still spend the time with my friends still have the beers, still do all the rituals that you usually do. You know, that's the stuff that I was not having robbed from me as a football fan by these owners and by that manager. Yeah. Yeah, I say it with a, with a degree of tongue-in-cheek, but um, Kaz May and I had a little joke in, in, in the episode. I think it was episode six I did with her. Because uh, Bristol Rovers fan, they've just been relegated. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> It, it, as, as ever, you, you could talk to any football fan and they'll say this with, with a wry smile or look at you with a wry smile because they know exactly what it is. But you go on this day out, you jump on the train, you have the beers, you know, you have, you say you have that camaraderie with your friends and then the 90 minutes of football just kind of gets in the way and it's the worst point of the day. And you kind of <laughs> think at the end of it, what the hell are you... Why, why have we even done this? You know, there is no other, no other way you, or no other, no other reason in life why you would go to the arse end of nowhere to the other end of the country, some some godforsaken you know town down in the southwest or the north of England or or in, or some some hellhole in, in in London somewhere, and and just have ninety minutes and or just to have other than to have just ninety minutes of football. 
Um, and that 90 minutes of football almost always just gets in the way. It's like, what? what's the point? <laughs> That's it. And, you know, when you were talking at the start about, you know, why am I a Blackburn fan and the fact that I've stuck with us, you know, I had mates saying to me, why the hell are you supporting that shower? You know, and they were ribbing me for all the keen out stuff on TV and ribbing me for all the Venkies out stuff, ribbing me when that chicken ended up on the pitch, you know, all that type of stuff. That's the stuff that tests your resolve as a fan. And all that stuff that you've just said, you know, just the experience and the day out and all of that, you know, that that is why you do it, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, so you mentioned about that, um, uh, that well, the Bolton defeat. Um, but then... <laughs> Just thinking off the top of my head, was it only a couple of weeks later you went to uh, Old Trafford and won? Oh, I mean, what a, a strange week it was. So, yeah, that game was just before Christmas. And then we had two games. We, had, we actually had a game on Boxing Day against Liverpool as well. So you're thinking, mm -hmm. bloody hell, we're bottom of the league at Christmas. We've just lost to Bolton at home. And now we've got Liverpool away and Man U away. It's just like... How much cut off are we going to be from the pack after these two games? So we went to Liverpool, <laughs> went 1 0 up with a Charlie Adam own goal and drew that game 1 all. And our reserve keeper at the point, actually, Mark Bunn, um, the, the chant used to go from the Rovers fan, uh, Mark Bunn, he's got a short name. You know, that was just a stupid, <laughs> stupid chant that we had for him. But the reserve keeper, Mark Bunn, just had. A heroic performance that day at Anfield. So we get a point mm -hmm. on Boxing Day, and you know I don't know what you do on on Boxing Day, but um, I rarely get to games on Boxing Day actually, just because of family stuff going on my end in in Lincolnshire. So that was another where I was, you know, I can't remember which auntie's house I was at, you know, the big family shindy, and it's like bloody hell, we've drawn Anfield, and then um, so you're thinking, right, well that's a bonus point, especially before Man U away. And then that game against Man U was New Year's Eve. So that was just another awkward one for me because, again, I had big New Year's Eve plans, so I couldn't really squeeze in going to the football. So actually ended up watching that game with a lot of Man U fans who I know. And just, again, like, where the hell did that come from? When you're talking about, you know, the, the form that Rovers were in, the situation we were in at that point, the fact we were bottom... To go and win that game 3-2 and actually go 2-0 up in that game as well. We went 2-0 up. United pulled mm -hmm. it back to 2-2. When they pull it back to 2-2, you know you know the Man United way. You know the Sir Alex Ferguson way. You're expecting yeah. the inevitable. And then for us to go and win it in the last 10 minutes from the most unlikeliest of goal scorers as well, who at that time was Grant Hanley, who was a teenage academy centre-back playing in our side, for him to go and win the game for us, it was just amazing. And for me to... To win that game with all those Man U fans around me was just fantastic. And um, no, it was good. It was it was a real surprise. And the irony of that game, of course, is um, that season, if you remember, is the if the season of the, the whole Aguero moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Had United drawn that game against Rovers, they would have been champions and that Aguero mm -hmm. moment would not have happened. So I, I'll take that as a little win that Man U... <laughs> and we gave the world the Aguero moment with Rovers winning that game for no explanatory reason at Old Trafford on New Year's Eve that day. Because <laughs> you also had uh, Yakubo up front as well, didn't you? I mean, Yakubu. Yeah. If I just talk about Yakubu for a moment, I have never, ever seen a striker move so little on a football pitch. I just, I cannot describe to you, Dave, just 
that guy's work rate is just something else. And I mean that. Obviously. I've seen it. I've seen it because it, he played for Reading for six months as well. Oh, my God. I don't know what striker you saw at that point, but that guy just does not move. But I tell you what, he knows where the back of the net is. And uh, he, he scored once. He only scored once for us. Um, but it's a goal that, that, that got well, legendary status. Uh, and the guy is, you talk to anybody about Yakubu and Reading, and they'll, 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 again, they'll, 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 their face will just light up, just like Yakubu's face lit up. Um, the bloke was just played with a smile on his face, or walked around with a smile on his face, should I say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he scored, uh, he scored the winner at Derby in the, in the fifth round of the FA Cup, got us through to the quarterfinals, obviously, um, on, on our, uh, our run to the semis in 2015 um, under Steve Clark. But, um, um, but yeah, Yakuba, yeah, you're right. He knows exactly where the net is, and he, you know, he scored more than once against us in his time as well. He was just, I just, I can't describe it. When I think over the years of the strikers that we've had, you know, and some of them have got obviously legendary status at the football club. When you think of Alan Shearer, Simon Garner, Matt Janssen, and then more recently, you know, Jordan Rhodes, you know, strikers like that, McCarthy and Santa Cruz, Bellamy, you know, these names I'm reeling off. And Yakubu, you have to put in the same bracket as them, even though <laughs> just somehow he shouldn't be. But, you know, he got 18 goals in a relegated side. And, you know, he got four in one game against Swansea, for example, and just an absolute enigma that season. And just doesn't move, as I say, on a pitch, but just he can finish and he knew where the net was. And, yeah, shame for him that we didn't stay up because he more than contributed in that sense. So 2012 then, and as we've mentioned, Rovers are relegated. Your Ven the Venkies are still in charge. Steve Keane is still there. Um, he didn't last that long after that, though, did he? Um, although I remember distinctly at the time, um, Rovers were second or third in the, in the championship at that time. Signed yeah. Jordan Rhodes um, for what was you know, huge money from Huddersfield then. Now, Jordan Rhodes obviously came with great appeal because of his goal-scoring exploits at, at Huddersfield. Um, but clearly, Rovers fans know their club better than anybody else. And, you know, essentially, the writing was always going to be on the wall for Steve Keane, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, the damage was done in in the two seasons previous. You know, as I, <clears throat> as I said earlier, he, he got away with it in his first, you know, part season um, with the points that Big Sam got. And then in his first full season, got us relegated. And not just the on-pitch stuff, but all the off-pitch nonsense that was associated with Steve Keane. You know, his, his cronies supporting him at the club and the the drivel that he was putting into the media and all of that type of stuff. So, you know, regardless really of how we started that season, you know, his ship had sailed and, and we needed a new manager. You're absolutely right, though. You know, we ironically started the season um, not too bad. Um, you know, when he was sacked, he got sacked after the Middlesbrough game, which was our seventh game of the season. And, and that was his first defeat, first league defeat of the season. Um, you know, we'd won four and, and drawn two of the previous and, and we were in those playoff positions. Um, so ironically started the season pretty well. But again, it was just, it was all that stuff that was just associated with him. So we made some ridiculous signings in that pre-season. So five Portuguese players who only one of them came with any kind of uh, 
any kind of credentials or any kind of professional ability, um, which was Nuno Gomez, which was just <laughs> like Nuno Gomez just playing for Blackburn Rovers was just a random signing in itself. And to be fair to him, he did pretty decent for us and started the season really well with a few goals as well. But these other random Portuguese signings that we made, you know, Fabio Nunes, Paulo George, Adinho Jr., Diogo Rosado, um, you know, these are the... Not heard of them before and not heard of them since. Oh, just... So we, you know, signed those four unknown Portuguese and then the fifth one, Nuno Gomes. Um, So the recruitment was atrocious, you know, to start with. We were not filling that squad with good players uh, we obviously made, as you've, you've pointed out, one excellent signing in Jordan Rose, which we'll come on to in a moment because I just want to stay on the negative with this side. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, st- uh, just to answer your original point, you know, the, the ship had sailed for Steve Keane. We did not want him as manager. There was nothing within that preseason that was filling us with any kind of confidence or hope that we had a particular plan at that point. And those Portuguese signings, which were crafted again by that agency, supporting Steve Keane, it just smacked of desperation. And it was just a, a random collection of of players, some good, some bad, that we were hoping would somehow get us back into the Premier League. Um, mm-hmm. But we certainly had no confidence in Steve Keane doing that. And you were kind of hoping, not expecting. Yeah. I think, um, and this is where fan power comes into it, you know, like it or not, uh, football clubs need to recognise and... and, and... Well, it always takes so long for a football club to recognise when, like to use your analogy, that ship has sailed. Um, once fans don't want a manager there, the best thing they can do is basically cut their losses and run, isn't it? Because the, if he, if they, if you persist and persist and persist some more, then it's just going to get increasingly more toxic. And it's just going to damage the club, damage the ownership. Because if you if you if you maintain um, uh, if you maintain that manager, then that's going to reflect back poorly on the owners and and anybody else who has that um, has that sort of stakeholder role. Um, to say the, the best thing you can do is just is just you know just say cut the losses and run, which is kind of sad, really, because in some ways, because you you see as as you're more than aware, um, the modern day football fan. If you know a, a modern day football owner as well, if if the club hasn't um, hasn't hasn't sort of reached the target that the club necessarily sets, then that that manager is likely to be you know, given the chop by the owners, or the fans are going to want him out. Um, managers don't get given that time, um, so kind of a double edged sword there for me there. But I say Steve Keane was in that position clearly, and. The best thing that the Vengis could have done was was to have got rid of him. So, yeah, and there was a really, um, there was a really kind of pivotal moment early on in that season. We played Leicester at home very early on in the season, and Morton Gamps Pedersen scored in that game. And I can't remember exactly what the comment was, but Steve Keane basically said something about Pedersen's age or. Um, Something along those lines is, you know, because of how old he is, it might affect his level of performance. Something along those lines to do with his age. And Morton Gams Pedersen is a, you know, if he's not a club legend, he's he's very close to a club legend. But mm-hmm. I personally love the guy. So Morton Gams Pedersen, absolute fan's favourite for the years of service he gave us. He scored in that game and 
he ended up celebrating by getting a walking stick out and doing it in front of Steve Keen, in front of the bench. And mm -hmm. as fans, we just absolutely loved that. And I think when you've got a player like Morton Gamps Pedersen doing a public show like that, you know, this is an experienced pro, someone you're relying on to help get you back into the Premier League. When that player is doing that in front of the dugout, directed towards the manager, I hope at that point the powers that be actually saw how deep the problem was at the club. Yeah. And as I say, that was the third game into the season. And that tells its own story, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it, it's a public show of dissent towards that manager, but at the same time, that house of cards that, that Steve Keane's empire was built on, clearly that's when it, if it hadn't fallen already, then it was very, very close to doing so. Yeah, on the way um, out, certainly. So what, what are your memories of the... Um, of the time after that, uh, after Steve Ke Steve Keane's gone, um, your new your new manager's in, um, and it's you know it's it's three or four well three or four seasons then of of well, it's mid mid table isn't it um, until until the relegation in two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, so if I just kind of, if I have to start with the season that Steve Keane was sacked. So um, you know first and foremost, Steve Keane Day will always be remembered as the twenty eighth of September. Uh, so Rovers fans always celebrate that day that that's the day that he was sacked and and whatever. So that's always um, that's always going to hold a place in Rovers' heart. And then, yeah, the next game away at Charlton, which was the day after he got sacked, um, there was a celebration in the away end. That's for sure that he'd gone. And then obviously all attention is turning to well, who's going to be the next manager? Just so that I don't end up talking to you for two hours about what happened that season. Um, it was an absolute horror story that season for Rovers in terms of managerial appointments. So uh, we had Eric Black as a caretaker first, um, mm -hmm. who uh, didn't do very well. Um, Henningberg, club legend, eventually got the job for us. We were really happy. You know, if you think about what's happened previously, we have got an ownership that we don't trust, an agency that are clearly pulling the strings. To get Henningberg as a manager, someone who we know has the club's best interest at heart, was a relief for fans at that point. And mm -hmm. he came in and we were hoping, right, Henningberg's going to be the one. You know, he won the Premier League with us. He came back and captained us to promotion and won the League Cup with us. What better man than Henningberg to steer this ship in the right place? And sadly for Henningberg, it just did not work out that way. Um he had one win in 10 games and then Venky started getting trigger happy. So mm -hmm. they sacked him. Uh, Gary Boria. And I want to just pull out one game, actually. I know that later on in the show, we talk about special games to us and stuff, but um, Henningberg was sacked at the end of December and we played Barnsley just before New Year's Eve. And I always go to that game between Christmas and New Year's Eve, that one that gets slotted in because it's just a great yeah. one. Love the atmosphere. And we played Barnsley and I was seriously, seriously worried about the club at that point. Um, you know, the runner form that we'd had under Henningberg, we'd sacked Berg and there was no indication of any manager coming in to replace him. And we're rocking up at Barnsley who were down there with us as well. And it's like, well, who the hell is managing this club? Who is left? Who's left to keep the lights on? And the man that took the helm at that point was Gary Bowyer. And he had just been the under-18s manager, I think, at that point. I tell you what, I don't get emotional at football very often, but that day I had tears in my eyes because it felt like 
everything that had gone before just kind of came out at Oakwell that day. And mm -hmm. the performance that Rovers put in, you know, as I'm talking about it now, I can feel the hairs on the, the back of my neck sticking up. The performance we put in just with everything that had gone before was just absolutely remarkable. The spirit, the guts, the fight, you know, to go in winter to somewhere like Barnsley with the way that we're playing, the form that we're in. We won 3-1 and we were 2-0 up at half-time. Barnsley scored in the second half. And as a Rovers fan, you're thinking, we know what happens next. It always happens, mm -hmm. to, you know, throwing leads away. And Jordan Rhodes scored on the breakaway towards the end of the game. And when that goal went in, I nearly roared my eyes out. I nearly cried just to seal the win, to hear the Rovers fans singing in the way that we did, to see us all coming together in that way at Oakwell was a really powerful and emotional moment, actually, Dave. So, mm -hmm. you know, that Barnsley win was an important one. And if I just kind of wrap up this season, because this was just a season of nonsense, Michael Appleton ended up getting the job. He lasted 56 days, I think it was, and he got sacked. And then Gary Bowyer ended the season and we were not safe until the final day of the season. But Gary Bowyer got a really important win, actually, just before the end of the season. And I remember this one vividly as well. I didn't go. But it was away at Millwall and it was a rearranged game away at Millwall because we had Millwall in the FA Cup quarterfinals. <laughs> yeah. So um, mm -hmm. that went to a replay as well. We went out. So that game got rearranged and it effectively proved to be a game in hand for Rovers over all of these other sides that were in and around us. And it was a hugely, hugely important win, including Millwall. You know, they were down there with us as well. And we went away there and won 2-1. And Gary Bowyer there, what an important victory that was to go and win that game 2-1 just before the end of the season. And we eventually stayed up. I can't remember what the margin was. I'd have to check the league table, but it was only a matter of points that we stayed up. So that season, you know, that was that was that day, you know, all the managers, etc. Gary Bowie then got given the job, which at that point in time, actually, was probably the best thing for, for Rovers. You know, Venkis were getting trigger happy. You know, there was no real plan off the pitch. Gary Bowyer had come in, kept us up, seemed to have the respect of the team. And actually, the years under Gary Bowyer from that point weren't actually too bad. Um, no. Was it uh, two seasons you had with him, wasn't it? Yeah, two and a bit seasons it was, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, we had pretty decent league finishes under him. I think it was eighth and tenth. I need to check. We certainly came eighth, eighth or ninth. Um, you know, pretty decent. Um, yeah, eighth in that first season, in that season after that first season back, then ninth. So eighth and ninth. So, you know, we were kind of thinking about playoffs and, and promotion at that point, but kind of the nearly men. We weren't really, Dave. You know, we never really got close to the playoffs and we were always just off. So eighth and ninth looks like we were close. But maybe if we think about someone this season in the championship like Middlesbrough, maybe, you know, Middlesbrough, I think, have come ninth or, or eighth mm -hmm. or whatever, but they've never really been in the playoffs that's kind of how Rovers were but to be fair to Gary Bogan you know he made some good signings you know Rudy Gestead cult hero for the club Tom Kearney brilliant signing um, on loan from Hull initially and then signing in permanently Ben Marshall Craig Conway uh, Shane Duffy you know these are all players that we seem to be assembling a squad probably aided by parachute payments to be fair that was ready to go and get promotion but mm -hmm. as quickly unraveled, you know, in the seasons following, you know, that was our chance with those parachute payments to do it, Dave. So we came eighth and ninth. Uh, Gary Bowyer was eventually sacked the following season and we got Paul Lambert um, as manager. And oh, what can I say about Paul Lambert? Um, 
I don't want to say fraud. I don't want to say crook, but yesterday's yes, man. Yeah, he he came with some credentials. He came with a bit of actually, yeah, we've just had Gary Boyer, who, you know, for many people was just a glorified caretaker manager. We've actually got someone in Paul Lambert that's actually got a bit of experience and got a promotion at this level under his belt as well. So some of the fans were quite excited for Paul Lambert. But his relationship with the owners, his relationship with the fans, his relationship with the establishment at Rovers was very, very bizarre. And some very weird public statements and, and other nonsense coming out of the club. So he only lasted a season. And then this is when things really started to go pear-shaped, Dave. So the next appointment that the owners made was just terrible. And... um Owen Coyle was the one who got the role after Paul Lambert for that 16-17 season. Just And he was on a on a hide into nothing as well, wasn't he? Oh, I just it just shows you how out of touch the ownership have been actually at Rovers for their whole tenure. To even consider, you know, from a footballing basis, from a managerial basis, Owen Coyle was no longer a manager that anyone should be coveting or giving the role to, first and foremost. And then secondly, you know, just his associations to Bolton and Burnley and the fact that he defended Steve Keane on that night that I spoke about earlier when Bolton beat mm-hmm. us on that Christmas game. Everything about this appointment stank. And I'll tell you something, Dave, and I might get a few pelters from some of your listeners or other fans. This is the first time I've not gone to support Blackburn Rovers during this period of the club. I only went to away games to tick off away grounds in that season. I did not go mm-hmm. to Weewood Park in the time that Owen Coyle was manager. That was one step too far for me. I just could not take that. And I just chose to go to the away games at that point. That is how against that appointment I was and how yeah. against that appointment a lot of the fans were as well. And just really all us as fans just want to forget that whole sorry affair. And again, Venkies. If we think about them and their actions, you know, Trigger happened back in the championship with five different managers that season. Gave Gary Bowyer a nice wedge of time, which is great. But they gave Owen Coyle far too long. It was clear that something was wrong very early in that season. And they sacked him far too late. You know, he was gone in February. And Tony Mowbray came in at that point. He's obviously our current manager now. And... He ultimately had too much to do, Tony Mowbray. And if I just give you a bit of context, you know, if you projected the run of form under Mowbray for that season that he came in in the February, we would have come ninth that season had you projected that over a whole run of the season for Tony Mowbray. That was the level of form that we were under at that point just to eventually go down on goal difference. But yeah, the damage had been done by Owen Coyle. And Mm -hmm. it was a particularly disappointing spell for the club because you felt, all the nonsense, all the chaos, everything that happened in the first part of the Venkis era, you kind of thought all of that had gone. But no, we reverted back to this Owen Coyle appointment and it just reopened all those old scars. And again, the table does not lie, Dave. Deserve to be relegated come the end of it because of the decision-making at the club. And it wasn't just with the manager. It was the players that we had. That team we were relegated with, you know, just championship nearly men and free transfers and players that have gone on to do nothing. You know, we just had a distinct lack of quality in the squad when you fast forward only a couple of years from when we had Jordan Rhodes, Rudy Gestead, Tom Kearney, Grant Hanley, Shane Duffy, you know, all these players, you know, it was a far cry from from that side that was kind of pushing for promotion at that point. 
Because I remember, uh, I remember that season, 16, 17, you went down. We finished third um, under Yapstam. Um, and we played you in the December. It was our first ever win at Ewood Park. We got a late winner. Um, and you hadn't played too badly, but um, the cracks were clearly there. Yeah. Um, but you, you played down at um, the Medeski, and again, we beat you um, 3-1. Uh, but the, the performance level was so much higher. And in fact, you know, for our, um, you know, we, we I, I still, I'm absolutely amazed how we ended up on 80 plus points that season, given just how loose and, and, and open we were and some of the absolute pastings we took. Um, but, you know, th- that game against Blackburn kind of epitomised the fact that you were improved. Yeah, and he instilled a lot of fight, Tony Mowbray, you know, in the side at that point. But ultimately, you know, he had a distinct lack of quality in the squad. And, you know, we we drew a few games towards the end of that season. And you just think if Mowbray had just had access to a bit more quality, you know, could some of those draws been wins, for example? Um you know, we drew four games in a row, for example, just in the middle part of the season and uh, or in, in the middle part, sorry, of, of Tony Mowbray's kind of first section at the club there. So just, you know, that's that's the thing. It, Mowbray ultimately inherited a, a very poor squad that he got the absolute mm-hmm. maximum out of it that he could. So obviously, as you mentioned, he's still in charge now. So he's been given, what was that, uh, February, March 2016. So he's been there for five years now. He got you got you back up at the first attempt. Um, was that a, a, a fun season to um, to have down in League One, um, or was that a, an endurance? No, it was um, it was brilliant, Dave, and just for a couple of reasons, really. Um, the first is Tony Mowbray is probably the only manager under the Venkies that has actively tried to connect with the fan base and make it feel like you're part of something and make it feel like that he's got honesty and integrity and the best wishes of the club right there. So as a fan, you felt connected to Mowbray and believed him, you know, when he said that he's going to do his very best to get this side back up. And that was something that you could get behind. You know, you believed him. He's an honest Northern guy from a working class background. You know, you believed him and you wanted to be part of that. Uh, secondly, for me, um, it was the first season that I enjoyed. Um, you know, I've had season tickets before, but this was the first season where me and my son had a season ticket. And, you know, that was just what was he at the time, six. And I went home and away with him in that season, taking him to some weird and wonderful places. Uh, and just to have a season culminating in promotion in that way and to enjoy all of those moments with him, you know, as my little passenger in the car was just brilliant. And um, and obviously it helps when you win games as well. Yes, it was League One, but it doesn't matter what level of football you're at. If you're winning games, it's fun, isn't it? And it just makes the whole mm-hmm. experience a bit better. So, yeah, it was a fantastic season, Dave. Just a thoroughly enjoyable one. And one that I think, particularly a lot of the recent fans, you know, I'm in my 30s. There's a lot of fans, you know, at Rovers Chat who who do the stuff with us, who their only memory of Rovers is in the Football League. You know, they don't remember the Premier League days. They don't remember the European ties. They don't remember mm-hmm. the title win, you know, and I've got those memories. They don't. So that League One season is the only success that they've had, bless them. So, um, you know, it's going to have a special place for a lot of fans, particularly the more recent fans. But, yeah, it was it was just brilliant, Dave. And I love going to the older grounds. I love going to the smaller grounds. I love the crappy terraces and a night that will always stand out for me. You know, if I just take away the kind of like big nights when we got promoted and all of that. 
that night, I don't know if you remember it, it was the day when Beast from the East hit and pretty much mm -hmm. every game in the Football League got postponed. Apart from somehow Rovers' game away at AFC Wimbledon. They were playing at King's Meadow and I got the train down that night and, you know, I'm driving to the train station and I'm checking BBC and Twitter all the time on the train down to London and seeing all these games getting postponed and I'm like, there is not a cat's hell in chance that I'm seeing Rovers tonight if all these grounds of under soil heating are getting postponed. This one ain't going on. But I tell you what, fair play to Wimbledon. They borrowed some uh, covers, I believe, off Chelsea and had mm -hmm. that pitch covered right up until the point that Rovers and Wimbledon were taken to the pitch and, and obviously training and warming up and stuff. My bloody God, it was freezing that night. And mm -hmm. Rovers won 3-0, which was great. But I'll tell you what, the last 10 minutes, I will make a revelation here, Dave. That pitch was unplayable because obviously that terrace at King's Meadow, you're really close to the action. I was at the front yeah. of the terrace as well. I could see that pitch and it was glistening. It was hard. It was frozen. <laughs> so uh, well done to AFC Wimbledon that night for getting that game on. And um, yeah, Rovers got a good victory. But yeah, games like that, Dave, are, are the memories that you've got from that season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, kudos to, to Wimbledon for, for not only getting the game on and completing the game, but also from memory, they didn't even complain about it. Um, you know, it was a, you know, a fair and square defeat and they took it on the chin. Yeah. But you, you say you, you you spent that season down there, um, promoted at the first attempt, um, and it's been. I mean, you, you had that as a season of consolidation back at this level in in eighteen nineteen, um, and then you started to develop this side, um, which is now kind of where it is now, um, and there seems to be a bit more of an expectation now on Tony Mowbray with. Uh, with with the the hope and or the hope and expectation of, of challenging at least for the playoffs, and I suppose this season has uh, has been a bit of a disappointment, despite the um, the obvious uh, attributes that Adam Armstrong brings you. Yeah, and this disappointment is the right word. Um, you know, it just felt like that the the three years previous that that Mowbray had put in so the league one season and then the two seasons before this one it just felt like everything was gearing up to a good playoff push you know Mowbray first and foremost had come in and completely stabilized things off the pitch um using the academy well connecting with the fans felt like we had a plan felt like we were aiming for something pretty much good signings all round. You know, when you think of people like Bradley Dack um, and players like that, you know, good, seem to just all be coming together. Um, there are a lot of fans actually that will tell you that the writing's been on the wall with Mowbray for for longer than just this season. And, and that's not necessarily something that I share. You know, I when I think about our recent history and some of the managers that I've told you about, you know, I'm I'm not getting trigger happy on Tony Mowbray. You know, just look at Sunderland now. Just look at Sheffield United. You know, as in years gone by, getting out of League One at the first attempt was absolutely critical to this football club. Else, I'm convinced we would still be there now. So, for that mm -hmm. reason and that reason alone, Mowbray deserved the time to put the things in place to make us into those genuine playoff contenders. This season yeah. and leading up to this season, it felt like all of that had culminated really well. We appeared to have squad depth around most positions on the football pitch. 
Uh, as you pointed out, we had a striker bang in form, you know, with um, last season and that kind of post-lockdown football that we had. Adam Armstrong was well in form, young English striker. We seem to make some sensible signings in the right areas. Signed Harvey Elliott on loan from Liverpool, who is hands down one of the best youngsters in this country. So it just felt like everything was culminating that, yeah, we're going to make a good go of it and a good push. And we started the season not too bad. Um, you know, the football was was pretty OK. We seem to be playing this possession-based game and really dominating the ball in some games. But the form after Christmas um, was really, really worrying, um, Dave. And it's just kind of led to the view now that, you know, has Mowbray taken this club as far as he can take us now? You know, we are forever, ever grateful for what he's done to rescue this club and restabilize things. But if you have got playoff aspirations and if you are a club like Rovers where our cash flow isn't big and you've got big fish coming down from the Premier League and able to spend all of that money, you need mm -hmm. a manager that's got the X factor. You need a manager that's going to bridge that gap between your squad that you've got and these bigger boys that are genuine top six contenders. And I just think the view now is that Maybe Mowbray's not that man. Maybe he's not the man to bridge that gap. And when you think about how this squad potentially might unravel within this preseason with Harvey Elliott going back to Liverpool, potentially losing Adam Armstrong, Bradley Dax got another long-term injury. There's a few that still haven't signed a contract. It feels like that that promotion push and any talk of promotion is very unrealistic ambitions for next season. So mm -hmm. if it's a season of transition... Do you give it to another manager to come in and eyeball the situation and put his stamp on things? So, yeah, I think a lot of the fans are feeling a little disappointed that we just got nowhere near the playoffs, really, Dave. And it just felt like we should have been geared up towards that. And actually, when you look at Swansea and you look at Barnsley in particular, I think those two have shown that if you're organised, if you've got a plan, if you've got a way of playing, absolutely playoffs was up for grabs this season in the championship. Yeah. And momentum as well, particularly in Barnsley's case. That's it. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a shame in, in many ways because, as, like you say, you've got so many, so many uh, promising young assets. Um, it seemed to be looking at it from the outside that this this was the season to to, to really push for it. I think. Um, so. And then the worry now is if Mowbray does go, um, you've had all those issues with with the Venkies, um and their managerial appointments. You. you you do question just exactly who they're going to um, parachute into that position um, yeah. and whether or not it's going to be someone as as good as Tony Mowbray's been um, to as someone who's going to be able to actually do that and do that for sort of three to five years again, or whether it's going to be another 10-game manager like they did with Henning, Henning Berg. Yeah, and you're absolutely right to point that out. You know, I think the majority of the fan base now is subscribed to the view that that Tony Mowbray does need to go. And, you know, hopefully we can do it in the most respectful way possible. You know, a kind of thanks but no thanks Tony type thing. But you're absolutely right. That's only one part of the equation. What comes next is arguably more important. Because if we get one of those championship merry-go-round type managers looking for their, their final payday, you know, is that what we need at this moment in time? Possibly not. If we can somehow find someone that, you know, will use our brilliant academy, you know, in the way that it needs to be used and have that really effective trading model where we buy cheap, sell big and loan really sensibly from the Premier League. You know, I want a manager. If I was the chairman, that's what I'd be asking for. If I've got a manager sat opposite me, 
they're the things I'd be saying. How are you going to use this academy? How are you going to loan from this hotbed of footballing talent in the Northwest with Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Everton all on our doorstep? And how are you going to kind of trade the cash flow that we get in from selling someone like Adam Armstrong? How are you going to do that? You know, and, you know, we need to be finding a manager that's got a clear plan for that, not a shyster that's just looking for a payday. So clearly you've, you've made that transformation from um, uh, sort of regular match going fan and you're now um, a part of the team at Rovers Chat. Uh, and um, you've been, that, been doing that for, uh, for a couple of years now. Um, how, did all, how did all that come about? Yeah, so um, Rovers Chat um, put out an ad. Um, I, I just saw it on Twitter. Just We're looking for, for writers and contributors to our website. If you're interested, get in touch. So, um, yeah, towards the end of that League One season that we had, um, you know, that was 2018, that would have been. Sent Dan, who runs the site, Dan Ainsworth, sent him a message just saying, yeah, I'd be interested in writing. Um, and it's all gone from there, really. So it started off just writing, you know, weekly match reports, previews, opinion pieces and that type of stuff and did that for a couple of years. And then with the pandemic and obviously how we were all enjoying football, uh, enjoying inverted commas, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. football um, during the pandemic, just Dan and I were chatting uh, before the start of this season and said, should we do more kind of video content to bring the site on? So we started this season with um, some pre-recorded YouTube content, um, just kind of, you know, reviewing signings. And I do a show called On the Other Side where I speak to an opposition fan. Mm -hmm. um, so I started that as a pre-record. And then once we kind of mastered the art of that, we took the plunge on live streaming. Um, so we started that in October. Um, so we do a... I do my show live on the other show, I do, uh, on the other side, I do that live with the fan on a Friday night. Um, we were doing a pre-match show live uh, and a post-match show live as well, just reaction and, and preview to the game. And then towards the end of the season, took the plunge into watch-alongs as well. So I've been doing all of those kind of live stream and, and video content. And then we've had the odd special show here and there, you know, just celebrating Mowbray's tenure at the club and we just did one last night about the euro 2021 squad for england you know that type mm -hmm. of stuff so yeah really we've just evolved from the written content into you know the live streaming and, and youtube content but there's also been a podcast that's been there um for the whole of that time i don't do the podcast um that's a that's ollie alex and tom is the guy who hosts it so the 1875 podcast which you can find on twitter as well um that's always been there alongside the written content so really it's been an evolution of content now and we've got a couple of the guys that are really into their stat stuff so it's a good mix of of content that we've got at rovers chat and yeah i just seem to major on the the video and live stream and stuff it's funny that that the whole that the world of um sort of football website or football club websites and uh and um podcasts and and sort of how how they how they have evolved over the last um or over the last 18 months um and it seems as though that you've got quite a successful product there yeah we have and you know it is the real silver lining of this pandemic because you know we never would have done it without the pandemic and the way that we've all been watching football but we've really just been able to evolve and expand the content and i tell you what it is the most rewarding part of you know i'm so pleased to be doing it and 
I'm so rewarded with every single show that I do. And I'm not just joking when I say that. I actually mean it, you know, for two reasons. You know, that whole connection side that you spoke about, you know, I'm a fan that's that's grown up in Lincolnshire. You know, I'm not in Blackburn. You know, I don't have fans that I go with very regularly. I've been to games on my own because one of my non-Rovers fan mates don't want to come with me. So, you know, at times I've been a very alone Rovers fan. So to have that connection to those other Rovers fans, albeit virtually over our live streams and our watch-alongs and things like that, it's just been the most rewarding thing. And then, as you point out, you know, that wider connection that I've had into the, the EFL and the other clubs and just having a good chinwag over the upcoming football, you know, on my preview show for the, for the upcoming game. It's how football should be. You know, a lot of bad stuff in football gets a spotlight, you know, with hooliganism and racism and, and all of that type of stuff. All the stuff that we all do, you know, chatting as fans and engaging with other fans and being reasonable to each other and kind to each other and wishing each other well, you know, that is absolutely the stuff that I find rewarding. And I love nothing more than that chat that I have on a Friday night with an opposition fan. And then just the second thing, really, we've had some really, really nice messages, some really kind messages from some of our Rovers fans who some of them do live alone and some of them have had mental health problems and some of them really have struggled over the last 18 months of this pandemic and without the football. And for us to bring those people closer to Rovers and to give them something to kind of orientate their weeks around or give them content to enjoy or to give them a laugh on a Saturday when I'm saying something nonsensical on a watch along or whatever. <laughs> I've absolutely loved it. And if we've played our part in helping people not feel alone and helping them stay on top of their mental health and, and giving them some enjoyment, then I absolutely love that. And we've had some really kind messages sent to Rovers chat from people just saying that. And of course, you know, we're we're making those abroad fans feel closer to it as well. You know, whilst we're all living like this, whilst we're not going to games like this, it doesn't matter whether you live in Australia like some of our fans do or you're in Blackburn. We're all viewing the same watch along at the same point. So it's mm -hmm. been brilliant. Um, that's that's really, really pleasing and heartening to hear, actually. Um, I mean, something that I haven't mentioned on any of my shows so far. I've had mental health issues over the last couple of years. Um, to the point where I've gone months without actually um, going to games, um, and that's been really difficult to, uh, to 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 manage at some points as well because I live on my own as well. Um, yeah. So you know that's that's really heartening, and it's part again it's part of the reason why why I, I started this particular podcast just because I wanted something to do when I wanted to chat to people in some ways. Yeah. And chat to something that I that I think I I, I know quite well and I, I have quite a respectable opinion about. I think. Um, is, is about football and if I can get people talking to me about football and talking about their experiences I will quite happily sit there and listen um and yeah and that's it's, it's really really pleasing to hear that, that you're that you're getting that so it's so important and we all need support at different points in our lives you know and I am very happy to play my role in supporting others and helping others by you know, broadcasting myself live over YouTube. Do you know what I mean? You know, I'm very happy to do that to help others. Yeah, it's good to hear. I haven't quite got that far yet. I have a very good face for radio. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll pass on YouTube for right now. Um, so does the um, does the podcast or does the, uh, the, the website have um, reasonable links with the football club? And have you, um, have you had any um, opportunities perhaps to um to sort of interview players or former players or anything like that or is it all still very 
fan-based and opinion-based um, and kind of detached from, from the club itself? No. So we have had some tentative uh, in terms of, you know, current players and, and current links to the club. We have had some tentative conversations with the club about stuff that we may or, or may not be able to do. So that's kind of ongoing. But certainly off our own back, um, you know, we have been able to do interviews with former players, um, podcasts with former players, uh, and really offer that as content as well. So um, Tom, who does the 1875 podcast, he's uh, spoken to Craig Conway recently. Um, mm -hmm. I spoke to Craig Short, Marcus Bent and John Curtis as a kind of mm -hmm. celebratory promotional, um, you know, 20 years since promotion video that we did a few weeks ago. Andy Watson, that does our stats show, he's been talking to a lot of the club um, recruitment staff at the moment about what they're doing in the academy and other stuff like that. So it's mm -hmm. kind of, uh, it's an evolving piece, which I hope that, you know, if the club see the type of content that we do and see how we do things at Rovers Chat, you know, I think we'd love to, you know, we'd snap the club's hand off if we were able to kind of either get some kind of recognition or affiliation in that way. But, you yeah. know, now we'll just keep doing it as we've been doing it for the fans and where we can get those interviews and do those things, then absolutely we'll push that content out. Mm -hmm. Any particular memorable sort of episodes or conversations you've had with other fans? Oh, with other fans? Um, I mean... Uh... There is a bit of a legendary one. I don't know if you've had the pleasure of interviewing him yet, but um, he's a guy called Andy Simcox who does the Barnsley um, Red All Over podcast, who's just mm -hmm. an absolute character. He's he's brilliant. He's a real friend of the show, and he's had us in stitches on my Friday night show on the other side, just, you know, proper <laughs> Yorkshire bloke. Yeah, all the spade a spade, and just says it how it is, and he's just had us in stitches twice this season, and just a really, really lovely bloke, and um, yeah, he's probably the one that stands out for me. I think. Uh, great stuff. It's really good to hear that uh, that that you're you're really, really nicely immersed into that world, um, and it's it's a it's a um, therapeutic experience for me, and I'm and it sounds like that you're getting exactly the same, uh, exactly the same yourself. So. Moving on to um, more therapeutic stuff. This is where you get to have happy memories. <laughs> this is what I this is what I call the significant six. So six questions, basically. I just wanted to give me a, a quick fire answer, and then we'll have a, a little chat about about why and and, and sort of the background to it. So, uh, so question one is um, the the best game in your memory. Yeah, so my best game, um, and for the reasons that I said that my son was in tow as well, it's got to be that night we sealed the promotion at Doncaster in the League One season. That was just uh, an amazing night, an amazing game, and and really just to have my son in tow, brilliant. Your favourite away ground? I think I'm going to get pelters for saying this, but just it ticks all the boxes for me. The city ground, Forest. Your favourite season? 2005-06 season. Your favourite ever away day? Random game, Newcastle away in the 2007-08 season in the Premier League. Okay. Your favourite current Rovers player? Bradley Dack. And your favourite all-time Rovers player? Alan Shearer. Okay. <laughs> I wonder why that is. <laughs> so, promotion. Now, 
again, it's, it's an often quoted, it's becoming or increasingly quoted on this show now. You never forget your first promotion, do you? And this was this was yours, wasn't it? So in terms of, yeah, one that... Actually I, being uh, there, yeah. Yeah, in terms of being there, it was my first one, definitely. And it was just, yeah, so good, so emotional. So it was 1-0 to Rovers. Um, so we went into that game knowing that a victory um, would send us up. And Shrewsbury um, and Wigan were our two rivals. I think Wigan had sealed their promotion the game before. So um, Shrewsbury were also playing that night. And Shrewsbury, to be fair, put the pressure on Rovers. I think they were winning their game. So going into the last 10 minutes, Rovers nil-nil. We knew that promotion weren't sealed and Shrewsbury were turning the screw. Mm-hmm. So it got very got nervous that season, year. didn't they? Uh, yeah, and I felt really bad for them, actually, because they, do you know what? They put up a bloody good fight against Wigan and Rovers, and I think they deserve promotion, actually. So I felt a bit sorry yeah, for them. Bit, yeah, because they lost. He went to Ipswich, didn't he? Um, yeah. Paul Hurst. name off the top of my head. Paul Hurst, that's it. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was good. But yeah. Um, so that, and that was, that was a bit of a nice, uh, well, I say a shortish journey home for you as well, being Doncaster. What's that, about an hour away from, from where you Yeah, are, less than an hour, job? I think. It's probably a toss-up between that one and Rotherham for my closest. Uh, I think it is Doncaster, though, uh, as the crow flies. Um, so, yeah, really easy game to get to. Absolutely chucked it down that night i cannot describe how wet it was before the game during the game after the game it just chucked it down for the whole time but it was a real carnival atmosphere you know i think we mm-hmm. took four thousand fans and the keep moat stadium holds what ten thousand maximum so 12 something like that yeah we absolutely packed that away end, and it was just a superb atmosphere from start to finish but yeah that final 10 minutes we were getting nervy um mm-hmm. And then, yeah, up step Charlie Mulgrew. We got a corner towards the end of the game and it was just no fitting person to score that goal than Charlie Mulgrew. You know, I've got to say, as a captain and as a leader that season, he could have easily walked away when we were relegated. You know, he hadn't long been playing for Celtic on a good wedge as well. Good wage at Rovers. Could have easily walked away from us, but he didn't. You know, that's what Mowbray brought to that club. He got players hanging around to play their part and get the club back promoted. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Bradley Dak took the corner. Charlie Mulgrew headed it in, in front of that away end, and just that roar of emotion from that point, and just that final 10 minutes, followed by the final whistle, and just celebrating all of that with my son will just always, always be remembered in my mind. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Mulgrew got quite a few that season, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, he was uh, a very high-scoring centre-back that season. Did take penalties for us, but got a few free kicks and, um, yeah, that header as well. They all count as one. They do. They do indeed. So, yeah, he got a few goals. Yeah. So, City ground. Yeah. um, I was... So, I've done 61 grounds, as, as we were talking about, and I was chewing between this and Brentford the old Brentford. So I've removed Brentford. Mm-hmm. Griffin Park doesn't exist anymore. So, um, but City Ground, you know, I, I'm i not a fan of a lot of these bowl modern stadiums that we've got. And apologies, the Majeski falls into that, <laughs> that category. Yeah, we're fully well. aware, we are fully aware of what we've got. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that kind of rules out quite a few clubs. And if you think about some of the grounds I've been to in the Premier League as well, you know, when Rovers were there, you know, there's a few of those in there. Um, but Forest, I, I guess I'm being locally biased with this one because it's always a ground that I've been able to make a day of, a night of, 
a weekend of. <laughs> so uh, an easy one to get to. Can get on the train from Lincoln, can get on the beers from Lincoln really easily. But actually mm -hmm. as a ground, you know, next to the River Trent, you know, it's a, a four-stand stadium, not a bowl stadium. It's a traditional-looking yeah. stadium, a club with history. And I've got to say, you know, hats off to Nottingham Forest. Regardless of where they've been in the league table, they invariably sell that ground out and mm -hmm. they create a good atmosphere. So the atmosphere is always good there. It's always a good away game. It's always a great game to go to. So that's why I've picked it. It just ticks a lot of boxes. Not ne It's not necessarily the best-looking stadium. It's not necessarily the biggest stadium. But just for all of the boxes it ticks for me as an away fan, it, it, it's yeah. that one. I, I, I tend to agree on, on many, many points. It's not my favourite, um, but it's certainly up there when it comes to um, comes to the away day. Uh, you just well, as, as you know, you can just jump out. It's a little bit longer for me on the train, obviously, coming from... Um, yeah, you jump out the train, um, go to the bat and fiddle. You could have some, some ales and go into the city centre and have there. Or if you're inclined or a little bit younger, you can even go to Hooters. That's uh, it. And it's, you've just got, you know, you've got, you know, so literally, so you, you can go to see a Not County play, you go to uh, uh, Nottinghamshire Cricket and and, uh, and and Forest as well. They're all within, well, less than a mile of each other, aren't they? And it's just a, it, it's a proper sporting city. And that's is, kind yeah. of what makes it, it's what kind of what makes it as well. Um, you've got that lovely view of the stadium from, from Trent Bridge. Um, and do you know what? You know, sometimes, sometimes those days the game is, is I don't want to say it's secondary, um, but, you know, you, you, it's one of those days where you do go for, you know, for, I want to call it the experience. I sound like a, such a tourist saying that. Um, but I know I've been to, to the city grounds on half a dozen occasions or so, and it's one of those places that I do look to go to if I can. Um, and, yeah, I, I quite agree with what you, what you say there. Um, so talk to me about 2005-6. Yeah, so this um, this was a brilliant season for Rovers. So this was Mark Hughes's first full season in charge. Um, and this was actually my first year at uni, actually. I was at Newcastle Uni. Um, so I was around lots of different fans at that point from different walks of life and, and different clubs. And Rovers had an excellent season that season. We came sixth. Um, we did really well, qualified for Europe. Um, we got into the League Cup semi-finals, unfortunately got knocked out by, by Manchester United, but a largely successful season, you know, really spearheaded by Craig Bellamy up top, who was just an absolute joy to watch for Rovers. And then other players like David Bentley, who we signed, who came in and made a real impact. You know, we beat Man United 4-3 at home that season, just Lots of real standout moments in that season that ultimately culminated in that sixth place finish and and um, and Rovers qualifying for Europe. But, you know, just for me being at uni and just having those bragging rights and, you know, when we beat Chelsea at home, when we beat Man City at home, when we beat Aston Villa, beat Arsenal, you know, beat Man United, you know, lots of bragging rights that I had around lots of different fans at that point. So just an all-round enjoyable season in a period of my life at 18, being a fresher, <laughs> where life just seems to be really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say it's a, I think, um, if I remember right, he leaked last week, chose 0506 as well for his Carlisle United one. 
Um, but yeah, it was, uh, dare I say it, um, and I make no apologies for saying it, 0506, my best season as well, 106 points. We, this is about the only thing that we can sing about. So, um, Of course yeah, I was that season, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, it was. Every every game, home and away. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, one hell of a season to see every single minute. Um, so, uh, the best ever away day. Remind me what it was. So it was Newcastle away in the 07-8 season, um, which might sound really random, but there'll be method to my madness in a moment. You're still at university, aren't you? I'm still at university, yeah. At Newcastle. (laughs) I I was at Newcastle University. um, So I was coming to the end of three years of hearing a lot of drivel coming out of local mouths about how good Newcastle United were and where they should be and Newcastle this and Newcastle that. I had a couple of good mates up there that were giving it all that about Newcastle constantly and I just I reached a point where even though I went to Newcastle Uni I just seemed to have this weird hatred for Newcastle. I don't know why. (laughs) I just developed this just kind of weird want for them not to do very well. And this was just a random game in our season. You know, I remember it really well. Just obviously I was at Newcastle, so made the full shebang about it all. Got a few mates up to Newcastle. Right, let's go and watch Rovers and then we'll have a good night out in Newcastle. Um, The game didn't really mean too much at that point. I think Rovers were kind of top half, but didn't feel like it had any kind of meaning or purpose to the game. Just a random game in March. Newcastle had Michael Owen at that point. Kevin Keegan was the manager. They started getting excited about themselves all again, etc., etc., etc. And the game was nil-nil going into uh, the final embers of the game. And to be honest, Newcastle had lots of chances to win that game. And they threw everyone up for this corner or this set piece towards the end of the game. We were deep into stoppage time at this point. And then Rovers break two on one. Uh, David Bentley gets the ball out on the left, threads it through to Matt Derbyshire, who is just clean through for a whole half of the pitch. He's just got to run through and slot it away. So it's one of those moments where it feels like it's bloody ages for Matt Derbyshire to get anywhere close to the goal. Anyway, slots this finish in. We all go mental and it culminates in singing at the end of that game. Where did Shiro win the league? Where did Shiro <laughs> win the league? So we're giving it all that to the Newcastle fans. I've got my retribution against Newcastle as a place for all that nonsense that I'd heard for three years. And just, you cannot beat a stoppage time winner in any game, but it be a smash and grab like the way it was in the circumstances it was for me personally being at Newcastle Uni. It was just, it was just great all round. But again, like that Southampton game I said to you earlier on, not a game that many Rovers fans will remember, I don't think. Maybe they will. <laughs> absolutely. I think you, you, you're absolutely right when you say that you can't really beat a last-minute winner, particularly when you've, like you say, you've been you've been under the cosh. It's one of those one of those games, one of those days where the smile afterwards just doesn't leave your face for hours and hours and hours, That's isn't it? it? Exactly so, that. Yeah, we've, if if you've been to it, if you if you if, yeah anybody who's been to any number of away games would have would have undoubtedly seen at least one of these and know exactly what you're on about. <laughs> so, um, so uh, I think we can all um, understand why you might be choosing Bradley Dak as your favourite current Rovers player. I mean, the guy is just for all his injury issues that he's had over the last eighteen months, two years extremely talented midfield player or attacking midfield player, isn't he? 
Yeah, and I mean, if you know, I hope over the course of this show, I've really set the context for a lot of the stuff at Rovers that's just been wrong for the last 10 years or so. But here is a guy that on and off the pitch is just an absolute joy. You know, he's he's a talisman in every way, shape or form. And he actually, ironically, had a very slow start to his Rovers career. He came in, we lost away at Southend in the League One first game of the season. And then he was pictured in a nightclub in London or something along those lines and got into a bit of bother. And as a fan, you're thinking, oh, here we go. You know, who's this guy, Bradley Dack? You know, what's he doing going in nightclubs? This is a League One season. Took him a while to get his first goal. It was Shrewsbury away, kind of mid-September time when he did. But do you know what? He never looked back after that point and just everything about him. Everything he touched in that season turned to gold and just his influence on the pitch just grew and grew and grew and grew. You know, he's not just about the goals. It's his work rate. It's his skills. It's his infectiousness off the pitch. It's what he brings on the pitch, you know, demanding from his teammates and all of that type of stuff. Just an ultimately really, really likeable guy. And that first injury that he got the season before last, was really hard to observe. You know, it was an, a nothing kind of, you know, meaningless challenge, really, just a coming together between two players. And he comes out on the wrong side of it and he's writhing in agony. And, you know, he's done his ACL and he was out for a total of 13 months. He obviously made his comeback this January um, mm -hmm. or just before that, actually, in the December, he came on, got his first goal in the January away at Birmingham. So you're thinking, right, Daki's back. Started getting back to form. And I tell you what, Dave, we did a watch along for the game. It was against Brentford. And I've just, the emotion that night, again, I don't get emotional very often watching Rovers in terms of like actually physically crying. I get emotional. This was course. the, this was on Sky as well, wasn't the it? Sky game, yeah. So yeah, I get emotional, yeah. of course, at the football. But in terms of it bringing me to tears, I don't think that's happened very often. But I was actually quite tearful that night because. Mm -hmm. As fans, we'd seen the 13 months of hard work that he'd put in with all the videos, all the Instagram messages to us, all the stuff that showed he is taking his recovery seriously. And we started seeing the real Bradley Dack again. And just to twist the knife in as well, for it to happen against David Raya, who was one of his teammates in that promotion season, David Raya, the goalkeeper that Rovers fans absolutely know and love, for it to happen in that way in an innocuous challenge with a former teammate and a likable guy who Rovers fans love with David Raya. Just mm. horrible. And you could you just knew straight away on that game, you just knew he'd done it. You knew it was ACL mm -hmm. just at that point, and it was horrible. So to lose him again for the best part of his career at Rovers, it's it's just another sickener. And just, you know, I think most Rovers fans had that type of emotional reaction, Dave, just because of what he brings to the club, just a complete joy just a complete infectious character and you know it was only a few weeks before he was prattling around in the club shop with ben brereton selling merchandise and all of that that's the stuff he does not many players have done that for us over the years and connected with the fans in that way but he's just an absolute laugh and he's done so much mm -hmm. off the pitch to to connect with the rovers fans and it was just horrible to see him go through that yeah and we well, I undoubtedly wish him well as, uh, as as much as you do. Um, it's not never nice seeing a player have a particularly serious injury uh, and so soon after coming back. Uh, so, yeah, wish him well. Um, talk to me about Alan Shearer. Oh, I mean, the abs really, you know, 
really is the reason why I support Rovers. You know, as a youngster, you latch on to players, don't you? Sadly for my son now, it's players like Haaland and Mbappe and Neymar and players like that. But when I was growing up, you know, it was all about Alan Shearer and I don't really remember any other players. It was just Shearer who I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to score goals like Alan Shearer. I wanted to be Alan Shearer. I wanted to wear a Blackburn shirt like Alan Shearer. And really is the reason why I supported Rovers, as I, as I said earlier. But, you know, the the goals that he scored for Rovers, you know, I don't unfortunately have my own real memories of the seasons that he had at Rovers. So I have to watch the DVDs and I have to watch the, you know, the videos and VHSs that I've got uh, myself. Um, but his rate of goal scoring at Rovers was just something nonsensical, you know, particularly in that title winning season he just seemed to score every game and when you're mm -hmm. talking about perfect striker he was one you know he could head the ball he could finish coolly if he needed to but absolutely he could rifle it into the corner he did have more pace than what people give him credit for and I think it mm -hmm. when he got that second knee injury he had a knee injury at Rovers and he had a knee injury at Newcastle I think when he got that knee injury at Newcastle that's when he lost his pace that second one yeah at Rovers, he actually had more pace than people give him credit for. But just when you think of, if you had to design a striker in the 1990s, you would have designed Alan Shearer as your striker. Like now, if you were to design the perfect forward, you'd probably design Cristiano Ronaldo in terms of physique. Shearer was the one that you would base it on back in the 90s. But I just loved him. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved him. And when he left Rovers, I sobbed my heart out. Um you know, this was before the days of Twitter, before the days of internet, you know, all of that. The first I knew of Shearer leaving was when my uncle took great pleasure, <laughs> for the record, in ringing me up and saying, hey, Ryan, I've got some news for you. Alan Shearer's leaving Blackburn. And I didn't believe him. I said, no, I don't believe you. It's not true. And then my mum had to tell me it was true. And, you know, my only way of confirming it at that point was to check CFAX and there it was in the big white writing at the top of the screen. Alan Shearer joins Newcastle for world record deals. So, yeah, my world was absolutely destroyed <laughs> at that moment when Alan Shearer left because I absolutely idolised the man and still idolise him. You know, he was just brilliant for Rovers and just, you know, just just associated with all my good early memories of football, including Euro 96 as well, you know, at that point. He was a Blackburn Rovers player. And I just remember that pride of of seeing Alan Shearer, you know, the little the caption coming up at the bottom of the screen, Alan Shearer, number nine, club, Blackburn Rovers. I remember that. And mm -hmm. just remember that pride of seeing a Rovers player represent England. And that tournament, Euro 96, was... I think Euro 96 was probably when all the lights got switched on in my football head, actually. Yeah. And Shearer was obviously a big part of that. You know, after Euro 96, that's when I really started taking notice properly of football and proper studying it and, you know, knowing players and teams and clubs and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. So does he, because um, obviously everybody uh, recognises it for his obvious Geordie link, um, and he does speak regularly you know, and, and get, get the piss taken out of him on BBC and whatnot for things that go on at the club by Gary Lineker and all that. But does, does he often mention anything? Um, about Blackburn and and, and uh, presumably he's only got nice things to say. Yeah, yeah, he, he does only have nice things to say. And I, I think he knows, you know, he's a Geordie, he's a Newcastle bloke, he's a Newcastle legend. So he's always going to favour that side of things. And, 
you know, that that's his role and, and that's his prerogative to do that. But he's done his fair share of appearances at Ewood Park, whether it's, you know, commemorative things that have been going on, whether it's, you know, Alan Shearer way being named after him, et cetera, et cetera. He's absolutely not forgotten us. I think some fans get a bit touchy about it that, you know, why is he not talking about Rovers? But come on, this is a guy that was born in Newcastle, has a statue after him in Newcastle and is a club legend at Newcastle. So yeah. that is always where his loyalty is going to lie. Amen to that. And like you say, he was an absolutely fabulous striker. Um, and around the time when I when I started you know, watching football was uh, just as he was um, really starting getting going at Southampton. Um, and likewise, like you say, 90, Euro 96 was really the first um, international tournament that I can really, uh, really remember. Um, I was massively into football at that point but that was the first uh yeah international tournament that i that i really took took proper full notice of and loved every that, single minute of it except the germany game yeah and i think that that tournament as well you know i'm 33 so even people that are probably going up to 40 if you consider that you know usa 94 we weren't there euro 92 was a bit of a disaster you know, there was a bit of a gap, wasn't there, between Italia 90 and Euro 96 and people remembering mm-hmm. stuff. So Euro 96, for, for many people, I think, was just a fantastic tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like, A, you need a bit of water. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't been, know what happened then when I was trying to we, talk. <laughs> we've been chatting for a good, a good two hours now, so uh, it's a good, uh, a good, a good, really good place to to end it. Um, Ryan, thank you so so much for your time. It's been thoroughly enjoyable, regaling your memories uh, of, uh, of of all things Blackburn Rovers. Um, just give us a quick reminder of where we can catch Rovers chat and where we can t- catch you on Twitter. Yeah, no. First and foremost, thank you for having me, Dave. This has been um, this has been really good, and I think you've got a cracking show going here. So I've enjoyed the two hours as well, and, and remembering the good, bad, and the ugly of Rovers in recent times. So thank you for having me on. And um, yeah, Rovers chat. Um, our Twitter handle is at Rovers chat underscore. So the underscores at the end. That's where you can find us, um, and you can see all of our kind of video content linked on there. And all the website pieces and stuff are linked from there as well. So that's the main place to find us. And then, yeah, on YouTube, it's it's Rovers Chat on YouTube as well. Certainly look out for that, particularly when Reading play your next season. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, uh, likewise, Twitter handle, just to remind you, um, at Terrace Memoirs. Give me a like on Facebook as well. There is a Facebook group of the same name. Um, email address uh, is terracememoirs at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, Ryan, thank you very much, very much uh, once again. Um, this is Terrace Memoirs, episode nine. Over and out. Ciao for now.